Sorry, I won't sing the entire song. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you wouldn't like that. But here's the words of those who may not have uh, picked up little Pink Floyd there. Does money get away? Get a good job with good pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star daydream. Think I'll buy a football team. Money, get back. I'm all right, Jack. Keep your hands off my stack. Money, it's a hit. Don't give me that do-goody-good. Don't say the word if you know what it is. I'm in the high-fidelity first-class traveling set, and I think I need a Learjet. Money, it's a crime. Share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today, but if you ask for a raise, it's no surprise they're giving none away. Away, away. I was thinking of that song this week, I'm not sure why, other than the fact that I was going to be in 1 Timothy 6. And uh, that song kind of gives us a good indication of um, kind of where people's mindset is today for those who are kind of focused on money, those who are trusting uh, in money, and it kind of gives us a good idea of where they're coming from. And throughout history, the two, probably the two greatest motivations in the lives of people are the gospel and money. People have literally given their lives for both of those. Some have given their lives for the gospel for the sake of Christ. Some have given their, their lives for the sake of money and gaining money. Jesus tells us that we can't serve both. We have to choose. You can't trust your life to money, pursue money. You can't, or, and try to pursue Christ. And to trust your life to, to one of these brings God's salvation, the promise of all your needs being met, and the eternal investment in the lives of others. To follow the other one opens us up for all sorts of problems, failure to accept God's truth, and the possible eternal separation from God. It's okay for the church to talk about the gospel. See, even somebody else doesn't like the whole money thing. That's okay. So, even, you know, the church can talk about the gospel, but when the church talks about how the gospel should impact our finances, our money, well, that's a little bit different thing. In fact, even... King Floyd kind of speaks to this, says, share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Do what you want with your money, but don't be messing with mine. Well, if you haven't turned to 1 Timothy 6, go ahead and turn there. It's page 1189 in the Pew Bible there. And, and just, by the way, I'm going to let this out. Um, this is not 100%, but it's, uh, it's getting close to 100%. Um, that we won't be talking about Pew Bibles in the future. Um, everyone's getting an iPad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, I'm not Oprah in a whole bunch of different ways. A whole bunch of ways I'm not Oprah. Anyways, um, so there's a real good chance that we're going to be able to get chairs, stackable padded chairs in here with new carpeting. Um, and guys, on September 9th, we've tentatively planned that if you want to come and stay after the service. We'll provide lunch, and we're going to start remodeling the, the stage. 
Um, we're going to put um, a live-size picture of me. No, I'm just kidding. No, no I'm just kidding. No, we're going to be redoing this. And um, so anyway, some things coming in the future here. And this is not in my notes, Don, so just hang in there, buddy. Um, we've got some stuff planned for the fall. And this coming week, next Sunday specifically, those things are going to start rolling. And so we're excited about them. Kind of feel like we've had a lull for the summer. We need to pick things back up and get some energy and excitement going. So we've got some things planned, and this next fall here should be a great uh, kick in the pan, uh, move forward and uh, getting us getting us going. Anyways, so we're in First uh, Timothy chapter six. Paul's closing out uh, this letter to Timothy on how the church is to be organized and how the church is to take care of its, itself, its members, its family. Again, we've been talking about the fact that we are the family of God, uh, and that we represent God to each other and to the world around us. And in this chapter, Paul shows the impact that these two great motivators in life have in the lives of people. And according to verses 1 and 2, the motivation of the Christian employee, for instance, should be the gospel. And so we're going to look at that first, but before I get there, I just feel like I need to clarify um, what first century church slavery or servanthood was, because that's what he's talking about here. When, when Americans typically think of slavery, we think of what our history was in the, in the past and, and what's gone on there. That's different in first century uh, servanthood or slavery. That was a situation where uh, primarily in Africa, the warring tribes were going at each other. When one tribe defeated another tribe, they took them as slaves and then the ones that they didn't want, they sold to European and American slave traders who then took them to Europe and America and sold them there. So it became a, you know, a profitable thing for other people on the backs of those who were basically defeated in battle. And though there was some of that going on in the first century, primarily slavery or servanthood in the first century had everything to do with like an indentured servant. Someone who, um, maybe they couldn't provide for themselves, they couldn't find a good job, couldn't provide for the family, they went ahead and just put themselves and their family into servanthood for somebody who could take care of them. Or they had debts, and so instead of paying that, paying that person money, they would just put themselves into servanthood um, in order to pay off their debts. And In the Jewish culture, every seven years, they were freed up to make a choice to either get out of servanthood or continue in it. So today what we do is when we see the slavery or servanthood master, slave master uh, illustration, we take that to our employment situation, employee, uh, employer. <laughs> Maybe for some of us we feel like that's a really good illustration, good connection. Um, but we want to see what uh, God has to say here to us this morning and, and as we close out this series, looking at chapter 6, the whole idea of motivation of, of money really, because there's an undercurrent here. Um, that has to do with the money and the gospel and, and its impact in our lives. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the passage up here, and we're going to talk about these things one section at a time, one paragraph at a time. So if you follow along with me, I'm just going to read the first two verses. Chapter 6. Paul says, All who are under the yoke as slaves, in other words, they've placed themselves in a position of slaves, or in our case, who have gone out and gotten themselves a job, are to, are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be 
disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the, of the benefit are believers and beloved. And again, he says, teach and preach these principles. So again, Paul constantly tells Timothy to preach and teach, to be constantly putting these things out there for people to be reminded of and to put into their lives. So the, the, the gospel, just be reminded of what the gospel is. The gospel is this incredible story, this incredible act of God who realized and understands that because of our sin, we can't have a relationship with him. And he didn't want us to stay in that situation. And he realizes that there's, no, there's nothing that man can do to get rid of his sin. There's nothing that we can do as finite human beings who are, when I say finite, I mean we're not infinite. We're not infinitely powerful like he is. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves in order to get rid of that sin. The only one who could get rid of that sin is God. And so God, who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son comes to earth, puts on human flesh. He's 100% God, 100% man. He lives a perfect life that he offers to put into our account. And then he dies in eternal death, which he's offering to put into our account. And if we place our faith in Christ, if we say, God, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm trusting that my sins will be forgiven by you, and I will be able to spend eternity in heaven because of Christ. When we make that, have that conversation with God, the Bible tells us that God declares us not guilty of our sin. His Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes in and washes us clean in a spiritual sense, cleans out that sin, and then God, because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, adopts us into his family. And when we become part of his family, it means a couple things. One is, he is our good and great father who wants to provide for all of our needs. But it also means that we are a child of God, and therefore we represent him. Just like you and I represent our earthly family, we look like, we talk like, we respond to life like our earthly family. God wants us to be transformed by reading his word, by having his Holy Spirit give us the power to respond to life in a way that represents him. To live a life, a godly life. Paul talks about godliness. Be motivated by wanting to become more and more like Christ. So our, for those of us who are put our faith in Christ, our motivation changes and our sole motivation, the reason why we get up in the morning and go into this life is to represent God because we know that if we represent God, all of our needs will be met. We're not going into this world focused on anything but that. We don't go into this world thinking, oh man, I've got to take care of this, I've got to take care of that, I've got to take it. And we pretty soon we start putting the focus back on ourselves. We go into this world and, and understand that if I focus on Christ, if I represent him well, God's promise, we've talked about this, God's promise to meet all of our needs. Jesus himself has told us that. So how does that play out in our workplace? This is what Paul's talking about. So those who are followers of Christ, who he is assuming that we are motivated by the gospel, that impact, that motivation of the gospel, how it interacts with our situation at work, primarily our boss, is that we honor 
and that we respect. So we honor, whether a Christian or not Christian boss, we honor them. And that, that word, by the way, is the same word used as, towards the elders, that we're to honor elders, that we're to honor widows, that we're to honor God. And in Ephesians 6, that we're to honor our parents. And I'm referring to Ephesians 6 because we're going to look back into Ephesians 6 a little bit this morning. That was Paul's first letter to this church that Timothy is pastoring at. So the same honor that we would give God, in a sense, okay, not that we worship our boss, but the fact that we honor God, he's saying you need to honor your boss. It means to value them, to let them know they are important to us. See, most people, maybe you guys have seen this, I know I've personally experienced it in my own life, and I've seen it in the work situations, haven't always been a pastor, I've worked in the secular world. And as evaluation time comes up, people start getting a little bit worked up, Remember, right? I mean, you guys see this at your work, maybe? People start getting a little bit worked up. They're worked up about the evaluation, and they're, and they're working for the evaluation. They're working to do well because they want what? A raise. Evaluation, a good evaluation means a raise. So I'm going to work hard for my boss because I'm looking to get that raise. I'm looking to get that financial bump that I need because a person without Christ, and truthfully, many people who follow Christ, their mindset is, I need that money because I need to take care of my needs. And so money becomes the focus. Money becomes the pursuit. Money becomes what they're all about. And when the evaluation doesn't go the way they want it to go, who gets the blame? The boss. At least when I was a boss, I got the blame. <laughs> you know, that's my experience. And even when I didn't get a good raise, I was kind of like, you know, my boss doesn't even show up. How does he know what I'm doing? You know, that kind of thing. Others, they work the system. I've had some employees that have done this to me where they're not so much concerned about, you know, they like a raise, but they're, they're going to go ahead without a raise. Um, but what they're going to do, they're going to work the system, and they're either going to schmooze me or they're going to schmooze other employees so that they do the work for them so they can go sit in a break room and hang out and, you know, well, I've assigned such and such to so-and-so. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you are not... The boss. I'm the one who assigns work, you know, but they're assigning the work because, you know, they're trying to look like they got things together. They're just trying to get out of work. Either way, their focus and their trust is on that money and not on God. And so as, as believers, we need to first of all realize that we are working and we're working hard because Jesus is our ultimate boss. Ephesians 6 Again, Paul's first letter that he wrote to this particular church that, pastor, or that Timothy is pastoring. He says this, Slaves, or in our case, employees, be obedient to those who are your masters or bosses according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So as you follow Christ, as you honor Christ, as you live your life for Christ, respond appropriately to your boss. Not by way of eye service or as men pleasers. Don't schmooze. Don't make it look like you're doing something that you're not doing. Don't make yourself look better than you really are. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, render service as to the Lord. Do your job as if God's your boss, is what he's saying. And not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from who? The Lord, whether slave or free. 
So Jesus Christ is our boss because we know that if I do, I know that if I do my job the way Christ wants me to do my job, that Christ is going to take care of me. God the Father is going to take care of me. And Paul is saying, Christians, motivated by the gospel, doing your job, represent me in your attitudes, in your actions, and in your words. Well, then Paul then specifically talks, well, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. The, the other thing about honor is that we obey and work hard, even for those who frustrate us. So Peter jumps into the act. I love this verse because of where it's positioned in, uh, in Peter's letter. But I'll read it first. He says this, Servants, employees, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. I mean, right there we could stop and have a complete sermon, right? How difficult is it to deal with a boss who is unreasonable, who we think is unreasonable or difficult to deal with? For this, responding appropriately to a boss who's frustrating to us finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? There's no credit there. You screwed up, so you should be disciplined. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? To suffer for doing your job right in spite of what the boss may or may not do in response. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Peter goes on to then talk about in verses 21 through 25, Jesus suffering on the cross. It's a, it's a powerful illustration that Peter is talking about here. It's, it's a powerful command that Paul has given to Christians, to those who follow Christ. Because, and we've talked about it, just as, as Jesus' bodily sacrifices, we read about it, as we see it portrayed even in some films, you know, that is, we look at that and say, that's incredible. He loved me that much. He did that for me. And so we're, because of his sacrifice and his love for us, it draws us to him. And we put our faith in him and we receive God's forgiveness because of that. But that same sacrifice, when we make it towards our boss, is to hopefully draw that boss to Christ. If they don't know Christ, to draw them to Christ for salvation. If they do know Christ, to encourage them to be more like Christ or other people that you work with. I mean, a number of conversations I've had with people when I was working at a school district or at the bank and different places I've worked about the way I've responded to, to situations. And again, it's not me. I'm just making a choice that I, I want to do life God's way, so I'm going to do my best to respond as God wants me to. And, and then I have opportunities to share who Christ is and what he means to me. And then he says specifically now to Christian bosses, we're to respect them. We're not to, sh we're not to disrespect, but we're to respect them. And respect is in this idea of, because he talks about working hard, it's, it's in relation to this idea that, hey, my boss is a Christian, I'm a Christian, maybe we can work a deal here. Right? Hey, we're, we're both on the same team, and... Uh, you know, you know what jobs I like, and since, you know, you know, you know, bro, 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 sis, you know, maybe you can kind of swing the good jobs towards me. 
Or, you know, jobs I don't like, so maybe you'll keep those from me. It's that kind of schmoozing the system because our, our boss is a Christian. But notice the, in, at the end of verse 2 what the motivation is. I mean, the, being a Christian is not easy, people, right? Our motivation for respecting our Christian boss and doing our job well is not that we benefit from it, but it's that our boss benefits from it. Have any of you, I don't know, have any of you guys ever worked so hard that your boss got a raise? Or your boss got promoted? God's telling us, through Paul, that we should be happy for that. We should be glad that our brother or sister got promoted, and we helped them do it. Because that's the heartbeat of the gospel. The heartbeat of the gospel is always me looking out for the best of others, no matter what it might cost me, so that they would come to Christ or grow closer to Christ. That's always the motivation of being a follower of Christ. Always. If you ever want to know, what should I do Monday morning when you wake up and you're like, hmm, what should I do today? Follow Christ. Live out the gospel. Demonstrate the gospel. Well, Paul moves on then to the motivation and the impact of false teachers and those who follow them. And he's killing two birds with one stone here. He's once again, for the third time, telling us the impact that false teachers have within a church if they're allowed to continue to teach. But he's also telling us what happens to a life that is all about following money and trying to get money. Because there are people today calling themselves Christians whose purpose for being in the ministry, he talks about it, is to make money for themselves. And so they're using God as leverage in people's lives to put pressure on them to gain money from that. Because that's what people in ministry, that's how they're, my paycheck comes from your loving offerings. And of course, I throw my offering in as well. So I kind of pay myself, sort of. Anyway, actually, Kim pays me. <laughs> she writes the check. Anyways, point being, when we come together as a church and we have our offering and the members and regular attenders say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm buying into what Grace Point's doing. I want to be a part of what God's doing at Grace Point. We financially support that. Part of that financial support, uh, yeah, I can talk, part of that financial support is supporting me and Kim. And allowing us to be all be focused, allowing me specifically to be a focused on full time what's going on in our church. But he talks about here in these verses three through ten that the result of being motivated by money is doctrinal, relational, and personal destruction. And and I've always said this: if you want to, you know, as you're listening to teaching, even my own, if you're listening to teaching. Biblical teaching, follow money and follow control. Because a false teacher ultimately is pursuing money and he'll control people to do it. He's got the deeper understanding, or she has a deeper understanding. You need them so you know what that is. You fund them. Now they've got your money coming in. And you guys are more than welcome to check me on that as well in my teaching. 
One of the reasons why we push and encourage and challenge and provide opportunities for you guys to learn how to study the Bible yourselves. So you can know for sure if I'm on board with what God's Word is saying. And again, I'm fine with people doing that. I want people to do it. So verse 3. Now he's talking about false teachers and those who follow after. He says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest. It's a sickly, death type of situation. A morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, our needs, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, um, Pink Floyd, it's the love of money, not money. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's break this down quickly. False teachers and those who follow it destroy biblical doctrine. If you notice how he describes them, he, de- he describes them, first of all, that their teaching doesn't match up with what Jesus has taught. It doesn't match up with the gospel. If you truly understand the gospel and you hear false teaching, you'll be able to, okay, I know that's false teaching because of what Jesus taught. Not just the actual event of the gospel, but all the doctrines that flow out from it. They're conceited. In other words, they're full of themselves. They're not full of God. They understand nothing. They might use Christian words. They might use Bible facts. But they don't understand how it relates back to the gospel. They don't understand what Jesus meant by those things. And then he says, um, they have, basically what he's saying is that they're not Christians. (laughs) He says that they're depraved minds, deprived of the truth. Depraved means unregenerate. It's a mind set on the flesh, not set on the spirit. And unregenerate means it hasn't been saved. It hasn't been regenerated. In other words, the sin washed out of it, which the Holy Spirit does. And deprived of the truth, it means that they're they're not just a little off. They're not a Christian person who's teaching just a little off. They're teaching something that's not even part of the truth even though they may use words that may make you think that way. And some people might say, well, wait, wait a second, Pastor. You can't judge whether a person is saved or not. And my response back is, you're 100% right. I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to watch TV and say, he's not a Christian, he's not a Christian, he's not a Christian. Unless, of course, they really screw up the gospel, then it's probably pretty easy to say. God is responsible to do that. But I am responsible, you're responsible to know the Bible well enough to know whether they're teaching is right or not. We do judge as Christians. We don't judge unbelievers because they're doing what God called them to do, but we do judge those who say they're Christians, who say they're teaching God's Word. We judge what they're saying. We judge what they're teaching based on what we know God's Word to say. Uh, God's, word, God's Word says. My 
mouth is not working today. And then he says they redefine biblical truth, so they destroy it by redefining it. Paul uses the word godliness. And they're redefining godliness and saying that godliness is something that's self-focused. Godliness is something that focuses on me and benefits my personal financial situation. When we know from Scripture that godliness is all about God. Godliness is being like God. It's God-likeness. And so we think the way God wants us to think, and then we live life the way God wants us to live, which is not focused on us, it's focused on others. He talks about the fact that false teachers then destroy relationships within a church. I mean, just look how look at look at what their what lies in the wake of their teaching. It's it's controversial questions and disputes about words that bring envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men. They just it's just constant chaos. We learned from Paul, that their, their teaching is really based on opinions, based on speculation. And so one person can say, oh, this is what I think, it believe, I think it says. Another person says, this is what I think it says. Pretty soon you've got two opinions. Who's right? And you have an argument. And you have friction. You have issues. That's why, you know, Bible studies that aren't led by somebody who understands how to, you know, study Scripture, it's, really, it's a pooling of ignorance is what we would call it. It's this person that, well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. Again, a third person, I think it means this. Who's right? The one with the best personality? The one with the most convincing argument? The one who speaks the best? The one with the cool accent? I mean, who's right? We need to know God's word so we know what's right. Paul describes it in 2 Timothy, in the second letter to him, he says, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learn, always something more, something deeper. There's something deeper. We've got to know something deeper. There's nothing more deep than our obedience to Christ. And lastly, it destroys lives. It destroys their lives and destroys those who follow them. Paul summarizes it with temptations, snares, ruin, and destruction. Those who focus on money, whether it's ministry-related or not, they they have a tendency to wander from the truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. And because they wander from that, they, they wander from the potential of finding that eternal life. So not only does their lives become ruined, because there's no, I mean, we talked about it when we went through Ecclesiastes, there's no satisfaction in money. It just becomes a, a drive for more, and then ending up destructing, destroying someone's life and they move away from the gospel. Paul then talks about the godly person, the person who wants to be more like God, and what's their motivation? And you can kind of guess what it is. It's the gospel. Verse 11. I'm going to go, verse 11, I think I'm going to go all the way through 21. It says this, But flee from these things, you man of God, you woman of God, you who want to follow after God. Flee from that. Flee from desire for money. Flee from the desire to set things up for yourself and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He, he confessed his faith in Christ in front of people. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, by the way, stood up in front of a bunch of people and testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the command without stain 
or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and the Holy, only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honoring and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't be like the people in verses 3 to 10, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is in life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be to you. So the motivation here for the godly, if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a godly person. Once you've placed your faith in Christ, then there's some things that we're told to do in these verses. First of all, Flee the pursuit of money. Flee the pursuit and trust, thinking that money is going to be the one, what uh, solidifies your life, that uh, builds the foundation of your life, that you are the one who is responsible for meeting your own needs. Because a person who relies on God, relies on living life God's way, Matthew 6.33, says that he will take care of all of our needs. And so our focus needs to be on others and I'm bringing the gospel message into other people's lives. He says, pursue a godly life. So let me just summarize verse 11. So a person who wants to be godly, a person who wants to live life God's way, lives life God's way, motivated by a desire to be like him as you trust his way of living life by looking out for the best of others and doing so with determination and gentleness. That's taking all those words and putting it into a sentence. This person also fights the good fight of faith. <clears throat> Paul's not saying in this passage that when there is a fight to be had, that we don't fight. Paul's obviously been telling Timothy, hey, when there's false teaching in the church, you stand up to that false teaching. We fight the good fight of faith in the church. If there's false teaching in a church, we address it. We do it with gentleness, we're told. We're do it, we do it with love. We do it with care. We do it with persuasion. We do it by living out that life as an, as an example. But we do fight. But what lies in the wake of what we're doing is people who want to become more like Christ. I'm not looking to find people to be more like me. Really, we don't need any more people like me. Really, we don't. Okay? My family would probably say amen to that. Well, you know, bald and beautiful, <laughs> you know, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, um, we need people to be more like Christ. Paul tells Timothy to be an example. And what he means there is how, how I live my life out, if I'm doing it right, how I live my life out is going to prove what my teaching is. If, if you guys see me hating people, you're going to question what my teaching is. If, if you guys see uh, me more concerned about myself than I am for other people, you're going to question what my teaching is. At least you should be questioning what my teaching is. So Paul's telling Timothy, be an example. Do, it like, do life God's way, because in the end, what's going to happen is you're going to prove truth. You're going to prove what biblical truth is, what the gospel is.
that he tells them to take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. And, and again, there's a whole lot in here. But let me use Paul's letter to the Ephesians when he summarizes it in the first chapter. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, get this, who has blessed us, those who have put their faith in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God's saying, you want to follow me? You have everything you need to do it. Well, why? One, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? But we also have his word, so we can study that and know how we're supposed to live. And when we come up against things that are too difficult for us and we're like not sure if we can handle it or not, we ask God's Holy Spirit to give us strength. We take a step of faith. He empowers us, and we do life God's way. We have everything we need in the heavenly, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We have everything that we could possibly ever want. And so we take hold of that eternal life because that gift that he's given us has everything we need. Jesus stood up to Pilate, and he did that for Timothy's eternal life, for your eternal life, and for my eternal life. The most powerful man on the earth at the time, Jesus stood up to Pilate and said, yes, I am God, by the way, and you can do whatever you need to do to me. And he went to the cross on our behalf. And he's saying, Paul's saying to Timothy, your sacrifice of standing up to false teachers isn't anywhere close to what Jesus Christ has done for you. And it's kind of funny because then Paul breaks into one of his praise tangents. You know, he kind of does this from time to time in his writing. If you've read it, he just kind of, he's teaching on something, and it's like he just gets blown away by what he just got done writing, and he goes into this little praise service, you know, and talking about how great God is, how great Jesus Christ is. And it should empower us and encourage us to, we've got a great God who empowers us and we can go into life as God wants us to. But he he closes out this section, verse 17, about how then should Christians handle money? Because we need money, right? We have bills to pay, all that kind of stuff. So how do Christians handle money? And he talks about the wealthy because back then there was a huge disparity. But in the United States, even those living under the poverty line, by the way, are like in the top, I don't know, 10% of uh, wage earners in the world. You know? So in America, we're pretty wealthy. Um, and Kim and I have actually spent time under the poverty line, and we've been told that we didn't know it at the time because we were just kind of doing life. And the guy who was doing our taxes says, you guys know? Not now, but back then. Um, you guys know you guys living under the poverty line? <laughs> no, didn't know it. But he says this. First of all, going back, money is not evil. It's the love of money that is. So a self-focused desire for it and trusting in it in God's eyes is evil. Secondly, money does not represent our greatness and ability, but God's graciousness and expectation. He says, don't be conceited with the money you have. Don't think you've done anything to get that money in the sense of out of your incredible awesomeness. You have that because God's giving you the abilities, the, the talents, skill set to get the job you have. And so you, God provided you the job. God's provided you the finances. And so it all goes back to God. It's what God has provided. It's not, nothing on us. Money's not to be trusted, he says. Only God is to be trusted. And not only that, but God gives us everything that we have for us to enjoy. So we should be 
content with what we have. We should enjoy what we have. But then he also adds this. Money is given to us by God so that we're able to do the good that God has called us to do. Again, we won't go back to Ephesians, but Ephesians 2.10 talks about the works that God has planned for us. We're to be rich in good works. We're to be known for our good works, not for our wealth. We're supposed to see the money that God has given us, make sure our needs are met, and then take the rest of that and use it to impact his family, his church family, to take care of needs of those in the church, to help the church as a whole invest into eternity, to see people come to Christ, to help people grow in their faith, to, to make sure that the stress and strains of life, others who are experiencing it can maybe relieve that a little bit so they can focus more on sharing Christ rather than scrambling. It's part of, it's part of what God wants for the family. It's, it's part of that growth within a church family where um, some people, God's allowing them to not have a whole lot of money because he wants the others in church who do have the money to help those people out. They're, it's not that they don't have a whole lot of money because God's judging them for some reason. Now, if they're making poor choices, then the church can come around them and help them, encourage them to, to make better choices. But some people are just stuck in a bad situation because God is allowing that to happen so people in the church can come around them and help them. When Paul closes the letter in verses 20 and 21, where he started, he told Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you, protect the purity of the gospel, and reject everything that's false knowledge that other people are trying to sell. So what does it mean for us? Well, I think the question is simple, and that's this. What are you trusting in? Where's your concern in your heart and your mind? When you think about your life and going forward in your life, where are your worries? Where are your concerns? My guess is that if you have those, it's in kind of a financial way in most of our lives. Not everybody, but most of us. God's word is clear that to focus on money and to build our lives on money is going to end up destroying us and moving us away from the truth. And he says, focus your life on the gospel do your job as if you're working for Jesus Christ, because you are. Realize that everything you have is coming to you from God to be used in order to care for others, to impact others' eternal situation. Well, next week we're going to start a mini-series that I'm calling Mission Possible. And uh, we're going to look at, for two weeks, our responsibility to share Christ and then also give you some... Um, you know, there's kind of a progression as we share our faith, some really easy things you can do, all the way to the actual um, sitting with somebody and praying for them to accept Christ, you know. So we're going to be talking about some of those and, and how God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit works in that as we're seeking to, to share Christ with others. Um, we, we've got yard signs that we're going to be, um, hopefully are going to be here by next Sunday, so we're going to hand those out and talk about those and where we're going in the fall. Um, so I want you to come back for that. Come back next week for the um, brainstorm and barbecue because uh, that's going to be kind of one of our kickoff things. We want to find out from other people, hey, what are you thinking? Where are you at in the community? How are we going to impact our community for Christ? So we want you to be back here for that. The main dish is provided 
A through M is bringing desserts, I think. N through Z is bringing sides and salads. Um, and so be here for that. Invite people for that. That would be kind of a fun thing, I think, maybe for people to be a part of. They've probably never seen a church do something like that before. Um, and we were praying for that a couple weeks ago. And so we're looking forward to a, a great meeting. Let's go ahead and stand.